Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Frank Sinkini is our special guest on today's show. He's the founder and CEO of Applied Visions Inc. He's a founder and board member of CodeDX and also one of the world's best thought leaders on digital applications. But before we get a chance to speak with Frank, it's a leadership hacker news. According to research, your smartphone is about 10 times dirtier than the average toilet seat. And given that you spend about 47 times a day on average touching it, that's pretty disgusting at the best of times. And during a pandemic, it's downright dangerous. But it doesn't stop there. Just think of how many small items you touch frequently throughout your day that you can rarely clean. Your computer mouse, your keyboard, maybe remote controls, jewellery, keys, to name just a few. All of these items are likely to come in touch with some form of bacteria, which could be potentially harmful, right? So as you consider stepping up your disinfecting routine, as we come toward the end of this wave of the pandemic, we shouldn't really be taking our hygiene for granted. Now we've brought you leadership innovation stories before, and innovation is an important part of leadership and leadership development. And along with digital tech and innovation, it now means that you can carry your own disinfectant case with you anywhere you like. Developers have created what they call the Clean Tray UV Light Sterilization Case. This portable case uses four UVC LED lights to kill about 99.99% of germs and bacteria on dirty surfaces, and it can be done in as little as five minutes, the company says. That's on average twice as fast as any other UV devices, completely eliminating and disinfecting any material surface from plastic to leather. It's about 8.3 inches, and Clean Tray is lightweight, enables you to carry it anywhere and disinfect just about anything you can that you can carry with you, such as your iPod, AirPods, phone, tools, jewelry, watches, and so on. And for those of you that are in touch with your senses, they've even integrated a hole for essential oils, allowing you to infuse your belongings with a fresh smell. Creative thinking and innovation is a key component of leadership. Our listeners have shared with us a couple of crazy apps that are trending right now. The first is called Cuddler. It's a location-based social networking app and basically allows you to find people in your area who just want a cuddle virtually or in person. Cute or creepy, you be the judge. If you've ever misplaced your car in a multi-story car park or in a location, there are a number of apps that will help you find my car. But this one is a find my car app with a difference. It's called Car Matey. You guessed it, it's got lots of R's and it lets you know where you parked your car, but instead in a pirate accent. Crazy you may think, but it's trending now and stealing all of the looty from all of the other trending apps. There must be some secret pirates amongst us. 
And if you're considering building an app, maybe now is the time. In 2008, when Apple launched the App Store, there were only 500 apps available. At the last count between iOS and Android, there were almost 5 million apps in usage. And of these apps, there were over 400,000 apps that help you, you guessed it, build apps. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. If you have any insights or information that you'd like our listeners to hear, get in touch. I'm joined on today's show by Frank Singini. He's the founder and CEO of Applied Visions, Inc. He's an entrepreneur and one of the world's best thought leaders on software development and digital development. Frank, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure too. Well, you're very welcome. So your story is a really interesting backstory. So now you lead a, a multi-site, multi-disciplined business, three companies, but it didn't start that way. You started off your business from your basement as a one-man band. Just tell us a little bit about the backstory. I did. It's, uh, I don't know if it's a typical backstory, but it's an interesting one. I had, um, after graduating college, worked two very interesting jobs that I really enjoyed. But in each case, after about five years or so on that job, it just got a bit stale and I, the first time I went on to a second job. And the second time I had uh, sort of stumbled into an opportunity to do a little bit of freelance work at night, uh, moonlighting work in my basement, as you say, and found that interesting. I was actually building a helicopter simulator for a small business here in my area and finished that one. And they asked me to do another one. And I was sufficiently um, disengaged, I guess, at my day job that I decided to take the chance and try doing that as a full-time engagement. And that led to another thing and another thing and another thing and hired people and got more customers. And 31 years later, here I am. Awesome. So from flight simulators to digital development, that world has changed significantly in 30 years, hasn't it? Uh, three or four times over. Yeah. Right. So how has your business morphed or changed or adapted? Oh, it's, uh, well, it's, it's changed, as I said, several times over the years. The Where we are now in terms of what technology is capable of doing for businesses and for consumers, I mean, it's just it was the stuff of daydreams when I started all this. I mean, I started this before we even had personal computers, which I just realized makes me sound old. Um, but the value that you can realize by applying software and technology to pretty much any domain that you can imagine is just incredible. Uh, the, the ability to build something effective and get it out in people's hands and, and ring value out of it in a, in a relatively short period of time compared to how it used to be uh, is just amazing. And it's really become an integral part of every business. Right. When I first started, it was sort of a back office thing. And, you know, yes, there were computers and yes, there was software, but it was always in service of some internal function. And now it really is the business. Yeah. And that digital forms part of every single business and across all channels. And Absolutely. Whether it be marketing, frontline, back office, you know, Absolutely. you almost can't experience going to work these days without having to bump into an element of technology that's continually evolving, right? Absolutely. And a message I try to convey to customers all the time is that, you know, I, I sum it up as your app is your business. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, of course, but you really cannot, you know, with, with few exceptions. You cannot have an effective business in today's market without a digital presence. Right. Without a digital side to the business. So at Applied Visions Inc. at the moment, what's your core focus with your clients, helping them with their thinking, their digital footprint, et cetera? It, it, it's really that. There, there's a phrase that I'm not particularly fond of, but 
maybe it's just because I don't like phrases like this, but it's digital transformation, but it's really building that digital side of your business, exposing your business to the digital world, having that presence, being in your customers' pockets on their phones, being in their lives wherever they are, being in the physical devices that are either in their homes or in their businesses or in their factories. Your business needs to be where your customers are, wherever they are, whenever they're there. And and that is all summed up under that digital transformation uh, phrase, but it's really helping companies achieve that. Right. And it starts with that conversation, I guess, with leaders as to, you know, what's their vision for the organization? And then you come in and help them decipher and translate their future business vision and how your technology and apps and applications can support it, right? Absolutely. That's actually uh, on a good day. It's like that. Very often my job starts with helping them form the vision in the first place. Okay. Um, There are so many businesses out there that are just you know, fighting the good fight day in and day out. And they're working the way that they've always worked and, and trying to keep it going. And the world is changing around them. And, and they're, they're, they're slowly sensing that maybe things are different enough that they need to do something, but they don't exactly understand what it is and how to do it. And, and I get involved with those leaders as early as I can to help them see that and understand it and get their arms around it and, and figure out what that means for them and how to get to that next step in the revolution. That's key critical, isn't it? I, lo- I love it when a customer calls me up and says, well, we want to do this digital transformation thing. Can you come in here and do it for us? I love that. <laughs> but more often than not, it's, it's what is all this digital stuff about and how does it affect me? There's also a common misconception, isn't there, that digital transformation is this thing of the internet and apps and applications and platforms and software. Actually, digital transformation starts with human people thinking about what it is they need to try and do and therefore that vision is absolutely where it starts, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And that's, you know, to the theme of your show, it's all about leadership at the customer side as well, because you can't just throw up a whole digital platform and tell your staff, okay, here it is, start doing this stuff now. Um, It's an enormously transformative process for the business. uh, And the people inside that business need to understand it. They need to see where it's going. They need to see how it affects them. And they need to see how their lives will change when you go down that road. And in your experience, not only being a leader of a, a digital and software business, but actually facing into organizations whose leaders are going through an element of tr- transformation, change or digital transformation. What, what would you say has been the biggest impact for leaders as they've gone through this evolution? Well, there are a lot of, lots of impacts, good ones and bad ones. I think the biggest impact on a good way that they see once it all starts to work is that they have a much closer bond to their customers than they've ever had before. There's this initial fear that I see, and I I deal a lot with um, mature businesses, businesses that grew up around older technologies or without technologies at all, but they have an established business, they have an established customer base. And I'm talking about business to consumer, business to business, it's all the same. It's, It's what is your relationship to your customer? And they fear that going digital will somehow change that. You know, when I want to talk to my customer, I pick up the phone and talk to them and that's all I need. And that's okay. And you can still do that. But once they have the technology in place, once they realize that now their business is in their customer's pocket 24 hours a day, they actually have a better relationship with that customer. They haven't given up anything they've gained. They've gained 
the ability to reach out to the customer whenever they feel like it. They've gained the ability to bring back data about that customer's behavior that they never had before. And they can still pick up the phone and call their customers, except now they are much more thoroughly equipped for that call. They know more about what that customer is doing. So it's always a joy to see that take place and to see that realization in the customers that, wow, this this stuff really works. Data-driven insights is fundamental, not only for the way that we interact with our customers, but actually how we interact with our internal teams as well, right? Oh, absolutely. It's so much easier to lead people to a conclusion that you think that they need to be led to when you've got the data to back it up. And you're not just trying to influence them and you're not trying to convince them that you just know what you're talking about. You've actually got data. Um, I mean, there's plenty of things in life and in the world where data isn't quite enough. But when you have data, you have data about your customer's behavior, about their preferences, about their businesses, about their practices, that can help support other decisions you have to make to move forward. Given your experience of your clients and helping them with their thought leadership, Frank, how has the pandemic impacted on the way organizations and indeed individuals are either rushing towards digital or using digital in a different way? Interestingly, it's well, it's, yeah, it's had all kinds of effects on people's behavior and the way they look at the world. But when they actually sort of pick themselves up and start thinking about what does this mean to the business, what it really is doing is sort of helping accelerate their move in that direction. Uh, they're not necessarily saying, oh, now I have to do things completely differently, although there's plenty of elements of that. But in many cases, they're saying, well, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I guess now's the time to actually do it. I can't meet my customers anymore. They can't come into my business. I have to have a different way of reaching them and a different way of interacting with them. These are all things that they should be thinking about anyway, and they should be doing anyway for all the reasons we just discussed about where digital relationships are going. It's just causing them to think about it more quickly. Now, that said, there's plenty of businesses where a true business transformation is forced by this. We have a little corner of our business where we have a software platform that we built that helps um, commercial kitchens manage meal subscriptions, prepared meal subscriptions. People can get on the website, order, you know, meals for the next month or week on a certain schedule, pick off a menu, and then you can deliver these meals on a subscription basis. And that's been a a popular business for a while with small commercial kitchens. And now Freshly is an example of a large business doing that. Now we're being uh, contacted by restaurants who are seeing how their lives have changed probably permanently. Uh, in terms of how many people they can bring into their place and how many people they can have in the front of the house. And yet they've got this commercial kitchen in the back that's capable of so much more. They're looking at, can they add this sort of subscription meal delivery to their business in addition to serving people in the restaurant and to dealing with one-off takeout orders through whatever it is, Uber Eats or DoorDash or those things? Is there a way that they can work a recurring revenue subscription model into their business without losing the character of, of their restaurant. So that's just one example of how the, I think this current situation is forcing some businesses to actually think about a radical change to what they do and how they do it. But for the most part, it's really an accelerant. Sure. It's getting people to do things or at least think about things that they should have been thinking about for a while. And do you think there is a, an element of digital maturity? So we'll see the, the businesses that survive and adapt the most have a greater and more comprehensive digital strategy versus those that don't? I think so. Uh, I, I think it's, it's 
a, a very necessary thing for them to do. Uh, one of the challenges I face in, in sort of carrying my messages around and my talk to businesses and they say, well, we did all that digital stuff. We have a website. And, and then we had somebody build us an app. Um, but it's nowhere near a digital business. It's little islands of capability and they don't talk to each other and they don't allow customers to really interact with the business and to serve themselves or it's not a true digital transformation. It's just a couple of pieces. Um, it's the businesses who recognize that and say that was just our first step in this direction. How do we get to the next step? How do we make all this stuff an integral part of our business? How do we make it really one big digital presence with just several doors into the room is the mobile app door. There's the website door. Maybe there's an intelligence device door, but all of it is a digital business that customers are interacting with, not little stovepipes of capability. And of course, digital will help them all connect those elements together to be more effective and provide the right outcomes for their customers. Oh, absolutely. And that gets back to your, your, your observation earlier about uh, the, the leadership challenge for the customer doing these things, because many businesses, even to this day, are uh, stovepiped internally. Uh, you know, people have their domains, they have their areas of responsibility, they can be protective about it. And, you know, for years, businesses have struggled to sort of integrate that smoothly internally, but there's still obstacles to that sort of integration. When you come in with this digital integration and say, okay, now all that stuff that all you guys do, it's really just one big thing. Everybody's sharing data. It's all available to everyone. There's, there's fluidity, fluidity between departments. Um, that can be a real leadership challenge to the, to the CEO who recognizes the value of this transformation is trying to get his team on board with doing this. One of the core tenets of creating a great leadership partnership in the business you're in is that element of trust because you're, you're dealing with some really sensitive areas of conversation, strategy, but also things that could cause huge potential upturns and downturns for the organization in terms of their, their risk. Oh, yeah. How is it you go about creating that trust with, with your partners? That is probably the single biggest challenge that I have as a service provider doing what we do is it's all about trust. Really all in the end of the day, all I'm ever selling to customers is trust that we can deliver on this thing that we're all talking about. And it's enormously difficult. Um, but we, we work on it. We work on it by making sure that our message is valid by making sure that we understand their business very well before we even start talking. It's about listening first and talking later. There's a lot of people in this space that think they know everything and will go into an engagement with the customer and start waving their arms around and saying, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. And we'll go in and, and, and we'll listen for a very long time. As long as the, the customer is willing to talk, we're willing to listen to really understand what they're doing today and why they're doing it, what they hope to achieve. But in the end, it's all about earning that trust because they're, if they choose to have us help them, there's nothing tangible there to start with. They are basically saying, okay, here, do this. They are trusting us to deliver on the promise of everything that we've said. So it, I, I, I do not take that lightly. When a customer finally says, okay, let's do this, I, I recognize that they've just you know, handed over their futures sure. to us. And you know, we, there, there are tactics we can use. We move forward incrementally. I'm sure you've had guests talking about agile development and there's, there's, there's ways of doing this work so that you've got total transparency, constant visibility as to what's going on and where you're going. And, and we, we work every day 
to keep our clients' comfort level manageable so that they understand where we're going and that we're moving in the right direction. I, I, let me tell you just a, a really quick anecdote. I had a client many, many years ago. It was a, it was a great client. We, one of the early stages of the, of the business is we brought a lot of successful DOS products over to Windows. And again, I'm dating myself, but um, we got into commercial product development very early and we bring a, a product feel to everything we do. And I was working late in this fellow's office once. He was the owner and he's a great guy. And um, I wanted to stay and he, had, he wanted to go home. And I said, you know, do you mind if I stay? And he said, sure. And he reaches and takes his keys out and hands them to me and gives me the alarm code. I said, you sure you trust me with the keys? And he looked at me and said, I'm trusting you with the entire future of my business. I better be able to trust you with my keys. <laughs> really and that was, a, you know, that was, I hadn't ever really thought of it that way because I was very young at the time. This is one of my first clients. And, um, and I never forgot that. Never forgot that. Yeah. So it's all about trust. It's, and it's interesting how we apply that position of trust, isn't it? And, and perception of trust. Yeah. So there was, there was you, you know, perceiving the keys as, as a commodity or as a product where actually it's much, much bigger than that, isn't it? Oh, it was hugely symbolic to me. And as I said, I've never forgotten. That was probably, I don't know, 25 years ago, maybe. And now as a CEO as well, that trust plays across the way that you lead your team. Oh, of course. Tell us a little bit about kind of how, from a leader's perspective, you apply the similar principles. Uh, yes, it's a slightly different. And again, it, you know, it comes from being a service business. You know, sometimes I envy companies that make commodity products, whether they're making cheese or auto parts or something, because there's an inertia to building products and, um, you know, people can come and go and your products will still come out the factory door in a service business. The, the people in the business are the business. They, they are my inventory. They are my product. They are everything. And, and I, I love it. And that's very different, isn't it, to a, a traditional manufacturing business? Because oh, extreme. without the, those individual people who are providing that capability, knowledge, and insight, there is no business, right? Absolutely. And a lot of companies will say that, or our people are our biggest asset. But in a service business, and this is true of any service business, and you know, I have tremendous empathy for anybody who's in a service business, uh, it, it is absolutely true. Um, the work that your people do, the relationships that they build with your customers that you know, I will earn the trust of a customer and then turn around and hand that trust off to a team. And now I've basically put my trust in them to serve the customers. So the whole process of making sure that we are constantly communicating that I know what's going on and, and that I've sort of tried to instill the right values in people so that that trust is earned every day of every relationship with every customer. Um, it's a, it's a different sort of leadership. Um, and uh, it's, it's great fun. Uh, I get tremendous satisfaction out of watching our teams do great things for customers. I used to get to do it for myself. I used to write the code. Now I don't do that anymore. Now I get to uh, achieve that satisfaction by watching them do it, but it is a huge responsibility. Sure it is. And the other thing that you've become renowned for is that whole thought leadership, which is in fact, what the whole applied visions is, you know, here's some information, here's some insights, here's how we apply it. Mm -hmm. How do you go about helping individuals, organizations with how they lead their thinking or how you lead their thinking? Well, as I said before, it's, it's more listening than talking. What I find in most of my relationships is that customers deep down know what they need. They know where they need to go. They just need to be encouraged to give it voice and they need to be reassured that it's actually the right idea. Too many people in my end of the business 
treat every relationship as a technology thing. And they'll go in and in the first meeting, they'll start talking about Azure or AWS or this or that or JavaScript. You know, they'll talk about all the technology that has to be brought to bear to solve this problem. But it's, that comes much later. That's, that's the, the, you know, the, the plywood and the two by fours to build the house. But you've got to start out with, how do you want to feel when you're living in this house? What do you want to get out of this house? You know, it's all about that. And, and it's actually become sort of my favorite part of the process now is to work with business owners to really understand what they think their challenges are, what they think the right answers are. And it's very rare that I would tell a business owner or leader is like, no, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Here's what you should do. Because they know better than I do. They're right. I, my job is just to help them see that, well, you know, that's absolutely correct. I see where you're going with that. But here's what that means in today's world. And here's the direction you've got to go with that to achieve what you just said. That's kind of my role is to lead their thinking along until they see the light. I hate to say that, but they see the solution. They see where this could go and how it can actually benefit them. But they know. They know better than I'll ever know. Uh, so my job is just to help them realize that. I love that. It's uh, it's almost coaching, but coaching through a digital lens, right? Yeah, actually, I've never thought of it that way uh, as coaching, but you're absolutely right. And I, I think, I don't know the numbers, but I'd say you know, 80% of leadership is coaching of one form or another. Coaching or coaxing or getting others to see where they should be going and not just telling them. Maybe sometimes you just got to tell them. But most times, most times you're, 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 you're influencing, you're coaching them along, moving them to a conclusion. Right. So yeah, coaching. I like that. Cool. I'll use that. If we start to think about you as a leader of your businesses and you lead several businesses and you're a board member of another, this is the part of the show where we really want to get into your leadership brain and, and how you're constructed as a CEO. So at this part of the show, we'd like to talk about your leadership hacks. So what would be your top tips, your top leadership hacks that you could share with our audience? It's interesting because I consider myself even to this day, sort of an accidental CEO. Uh, as I said earlier, I kind of yeah. eased into this business and it kind of grew up around me. You became the CEO because of the growth of your business. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I never really stopped to think about like, okay, now I should do this and, and now I should do that. But tips and tricks, hacks, I guess you asked earlier about how do I get customers? Look, let's look at the customer relationship first, that, that aspect of leadership. You know, how do I get customers to move their thinking forward? And one thing I learned a very long time ago is never to be afraid to invest in building something to show the possibilities. Building a prototype, if you want to call it that, or, or even just a really well-crafted mock-up or, or demo to help people realize where their vision could go. Nothing, nothing sells like a demonstration. You've, you've got to put that image in people's minds. And, you know, a lot of people in, in businesses like mine would say, you can't spend that kind of time and money, you know, that should be paid for. But um, I guess a, a larger scale hack that, uh, that I've learned is to always take the long view and it's worth short-term investments to build a long-term relationship. So if I want to have a couple of my guys go off for, uh, for a a week or two or you know build some mock-up of what i believe to be this customer's vision so i can bring it back to them and show it to them and have them go yeah that 
that's what we want. Um, that's huge. And that, that, that's part of building that trust that wins their loyalty. It generates excitement. It's worth that investment. So yeah, I, I reinvest a lot in things like that. And, and it's one of the reasons I, I credit the fact that we've been doing this for 30 years when a lot of companies like us have come and gone. So that's probably one of my bigger outward focused hacks. Um, yeah. Inwardly, I mean, I have all kinds of things I do that I just sort of take for granted that everybody does. But I, I especially with service business, as I was mentioning before, you know, you can't just go running around shouting at people, telling them to do this, do that, because you need them to be as invested in the relationship with the customer as you are. So I spend a lot of time influencing, understanding what drives individual people and making sure they're in positions where they can realize that and, and get the satisfaction that they're looking for, for whatever particular thing actually motivates them. And then making sure all that lines up to meet the customer goals. There are businesses, some of them legendary, where you can succeed through arrogance, shouting at people and calling them stupid and telling them, do this, do this, because I know everything. Uh, this is not one of those businesses. I lead a lot more through influence, guidance, through leading by example. Uh, we're all kind of moving along in the same direction. It's not my position to tell people what to do. Uh, I don't know if that counts as a hack. It for sure it does. You know, the whole kind of philosophy of the traditional kind of 1960s, 70s leadership is still kind of present in some organizations today, but people recognize that that's never going to serve them well in the future. And the only way that you can really be a leader is to be amongst other leaders yeah. that you're instilling and developing and creating. Yep. Yeah, you know, a big part of that is is ego. Uh, you know, we're all ego driven to one regard or another. But when you're in a situation like this and you're leading, you've got to learn to put your ego in the background and look for your own self satisfaction in sort of larger things down line. You don't want to just be right all the time. You don't need to be right all the time. Andy Grove, who I maybe dated myself again, CEO of Intel, wrote a great series of books, and one of the things he said that always stuck with me is you can be right, but you can also be dead right. Um, and I try very hard not to be dead right. And that often comes from your own desire to prove yourself right. So in that whole influencing thing, it's very important to put your own ego in the backseat. And eventually you will have some successes and then you can quietly in, in your own little study at home with your glass of single malt scotch, look at the thing that you just delivered your customer and say, you know, yeah, I did that. It's really your team did it, but you can say, yeah, yeah. I did that. You can satisfy yourself awesome. that way, but you don't need, you don't need to do that in the office. And again, I don't know if these count as hacks, but the other thing that I try to instill on everyone as a cultural thing is that we should never be afraid of failure. I think fear of failure is a great obstacle for people. And if you have a culture that punishes failure uh, or mocks it or whatever, uh, no one's ever going to take any risks and nothing really interesting is ever going to happen. So you've got to encourage it. Now, I don't, you know, I don't mean going so far as what's the, the, the Facebook expression, fail fast or something like that, you know, that's become part of the right. zeitgeist now, this whole break things, fail fast. I don't mean that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, try something new. If it doesn't work, backtrack, you know, don't, don't go crazy about it, but don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to speak up in a meeting and say, yeah, we tried that thing. I thought it was a good idea, but it turned out to be a really bad idea. So we're not going to do that. Great. You learn so much from that. You learn so much more. And there's lots of good quotes about this that I can't pull out of my head right now, but you learn so much more from a failure 
than from a success. You do, don't you? Yeah, always, always. And, and just you have to have a culture that says that's okay. We owe a lot to the digital world for that principle of failure in business and getting comfortable with failure because it, it kind of was born in the digital evolution of experiment, test and learn and agile development. And we've kind of taken some of those principles now. Most organizations recognize that, and it might not even be labeled as failure. It might be labeled as learning yes. and we just do that. We learn from it. If it doesn't work, we do something else. Yeah. It's a little harder in our business. And this is, again, where it's sort of my job to make sure these messages are carried. You know, when you're doing work for customers and you know, it's a service organization and they see something that we might call failure, they think, well, wait a minute, you know, I thought you guys were experts. And yes. so I spend you know, some of my time helping customers understand as well that certain kinds of, fa- I mean, there's bad failures, but don't get me wrong. It's, I'm not saying all failure is good. Um, but you know, I have to help the customers see that this is a natural part of making progress of innovating. Yeah. You can't innovate and be perfect at the same time. Was it Thomas Edison who, who created the electric light bulb said that, um, I've been really, really unlucky for many times, but I've only been successful once. So it was a thousand times or something like that. He, he tried to get this light bulb up and running, but. It was on the thousand and first time it actually worked. Yeah. Yeah. He has, he's got a couple of great quotes like that. I can't remember those um, either, but, uh, but yes. And, and he, he's a smart guy, obviously. Don't be afraid to fail because if you're not failing every now and then you're just not trying hard enough. And failure is where we go next. So this part of the show we call hack to attack. Now, anybody that's evolved in business for as long as you have, Frank, and has been successful, there's always been times throughout our career where we can look back and think, that didn't work out as well as I'd expected, or maybe I've screwed up. And we call this section hack to attack. Hmm. And it's where we've taken a, 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 an experience or a lesson in our careers where it didn't work out, but we've used that as a positive in our work, in our life. What would be your hack to attack? Oh, boy, there's so many of them. Um, probably the Biggest one, it's interesting, because we talked a lot about trust earlier. Um, and, and, you know, the, the biggest lesson I've learned is, uh, you know, I talked about how I build a great team and you have great people and you, you know, trust in them and all that. But you've got to be careful not to mistake confidence for competence. I've made that mistake a few times. You know, really understand people's capabilities get past their own bluster. Um, I've gotten much better at that over the years. Uh, you know, I've had situations where I just put too much faith in people because it seemed like they could do it. And, I, and I've learned how to really understand people's capability and, and kind of a related to that. And so it's probably not a surprise that as a service business, my, my biggest lessons are all around people. Um, because technology's come and go, other stuff come and go, but it's really all about the people. So right. there's that and kind of related, but kind of not. I believe very strongly in, in compassion, being a compassionate leader, being a compassionate vendor to my customers. I mean, the world needs compassion. Uh, I think there's a tremendous lack of compassion across all domains. And you can, you can get so much farther if you just really understand what other people's needs are and, and what motivates them and what drives them and help them achieve their visions of success so that you can achieve your visions. To this day, I, I live by that. But in the earlier years, I was probably too far in that direction. And I tended to put individual people's needs ahead of the needs of the business. And I have learned over the years that uh, the business has to come first. 
because as actually as I had more and more and more people in the business and the needs of any one person as important as those needs are to that person, if there's a conflict between that person's needs and the needs of the business and by extension of the other people in the business, I have to make the call. And uh, it, was, it wasn't so good at that back then, but got better at it. Awesome. And learning and testing and learning, getting it right is all part of the evolution of yep. anybody's leadership responsibilities. And that's a very important point. I'm glad you said that because I think it's very easy and tempting to just sort of settle into a pattern after a while and think, oh, I got this. I've done this before. I've seen everything. I know everything. I don't have to, I don't have to grow anymore. I don't have to learn anymore. I got it done. It's like, that's never true. Never, you never stop learning. I learn something new every day. I learn several new things every day. Um, and you've got to be open to that. You've got to be open to letting go of past assumptions. That's not the right word. Uh, assumptions is probably the right word, right? You know, letting go of the things that you thought you knew. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, you got to let go of the things you thought you knew. Because what you thought you knew, and maybe you did know it, maybe it was true then, it's not true now. And you've got to, you've got to be flexible. You've got to be fluid. And that's a direct parallel between digital and leadership. You know, the, the, they will both continually just evolve. Exactly. And it's being thoughtful about what I need to do to take advantage of how they're evolving too. Exactly. The last place we'd like to take you, Frank, is to do a bit of time travel now. I can ask you to jump in the time capsule, bump into Frank at 21, and you have an opportunity <laughs> to give Frank some advice. What would that be? Wow. 21. Other than get a haircut? Um, 21, where was I on 21? I guess just graduating college. Interesting. I guess it relates to what we were saying before, but I have you know, no regrets over the path I followed. I would want to follow the same path. So I would probably tell that 21 year old. And it's interesting you say that because in the timing is about right. There is a, I talked about trust before. I talked about not buying into people's confidence over competence and all that. And, um, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Ronald Reagan when he was president, but I am. I certainly am. He famously said in some context when talking about arms control with Russia, let me see if I can remember. Something Dovarai na Povarai or something like this. Trust, but verify. And, and I think if I could tell 21-year-old Frank one thing, I'd say, listen to that. Trust people, but make sure you know what you're trusting in. Make sure that trust is deserved. That's great advice, isn't it? Uh, because everything else flows from that. Because all of life is trust. People are trusting me. I'm trusting them. I'm trusting the people who work for me. It's all about trust. Even you know, now I'm trusting people to wear a bloody mask in public. You know, So it's all about trust. So you've got to make sure that your trust is earned and deserved. Cool. Folk are listening to this thinking, how do I get hold of some information about Frank and Applied Visions? Where would we best send them to find out more about you and the work that you do now? After they've listened to this podcast, of course, because this is this has been great. I've really enjoyed this and, and said a lot of things I never thought I'd say. So this is terrific. Um, well, we have a website and <laughs> talk about vision. I was smart enough to register a three-letter URL when I could, www.avi.com, Applied Visions, Inc. So it's really easy to find. Uh, you'll find me there. You'll find me on LinkedIn. I love interacting with people on LinkedIn. Um, there's not a lot of Frank Zinginis in the world, so I should be pretty easy to find. There's a few, but not a lot. Um, I try to blog regularly, so you can subscribe to my blog. Um, and heck, you can pick up the phone and call me. And we still do that, right? We, we, we still actually can speak to people, even though the digital world has replaced many mediums of communication. Uh, the phone is still a fantastic way to connect, right? You know, it's funny. It is. And interestingly enough, um, the, the, our stay-at-home life over the last few months, I think, has revived some of that. 
the need to just speak to people on the phone because you know you can't just go walk in and chat with them and and, and we're kind of rediscovering to have how to have conversations like this but yeah i'm easy to find and i love talking about this stuff i'll talk till i'm blue in the face about these things and you know, I don't need to know that there's anything for me on the other end of it. I just like talking about this stuff. And we've loved talking to you as well. And we'll make sure that in the show notes, your links to both LinkedIn and the website are there for our listeners to click on as soon as they're done. Terrific. So Frank Singini, it's been absolutely awesome. Thank you ever so much for being on the Leadership Hacker Podcast. Well, I really appreciate uh, being on your show. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush and I've been the Leadership Hacker. Leadership Hacker.